This week, Music Biz Weekly Podcast, we talk about the absolute importance of having music programs in public schools and what you hopefully can do to help keep that happening. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert Two longtime music industry pros discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you Build need. a stunning band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly podcast. We have, I think I could say, a very important guest and interview here. This is something that's so critical to the future of music. And we're not talking some new technology or new website. This is the future. This is this guest is going to talk about creating the spark in children to get them excited about music. Um, but before we get to that, a quick shout out to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town. Thank you so much for all you do to support us here at the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. And of course, source sponsors. Bandzoogle.com makes it so easy to build a stunning website and EPK for your music in just minutes. All the features you need are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell music, merch, and tickets commission-free, mailing list tools, to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more so you can easily add content from your other online profiles. And of course, live amazing tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Plans at bandzoogle.com start at just $8.29 a month, and that includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Music Biz Weekly podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days. But when you sign up, use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, all one word, MUSICBIZWEEKLY, and you'll get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY. And of course, thank you so much to discmakers.com. As we all know, vinyl has become such a an important product out there, but it's been mainly a label product up until now. Why? Because of the high prices and potentially the lead times to create that product. And that's kept many independent artists largely on the sidelines, but they want vinyl. Indie artists want to release vinyl, um, but not many of them end up moving forward. Why? Again, because of the price and turnaround times. Most artists simply don't know how many records they'll sell and they want to start with the smallest quantity possible to test the waters. Nobody wants to end up with a garage filled with a thousand vinyl records that you spent, you know, 20 bucks on each vinyl record and you can't get any money for them. That's a fear. And that's a justifiable fear. Up until this week, a hundred records at discmakers.com would cost you a thousand $990 to press. And that's a lot of money, especially when you compare it to the cost of making 100 CDs, which you can do at Disc Makers for 149 bucks. So Disc Makers decided to rip the Band-Aid off and they've launched their entry-level vinyl strategy with an offer of 100 vinyl records for just $1,299. That makes this 
accessible to DIY artists. That allows you to press some vinyl, get it out to your fans, and create a new revenue stream. So head over to discmakers.com and place your order for 100 vinyl records for $1,299. Jay, who are we joined by this week? Today, we're going to be joined by founder and executive director of Music Will. It's the largest nonprofit music program in the United States public school system. And uh, the gentleman's name is Dave Wish. Fantastic conversation. Yes. I encourage everybody, listen to this. And as you're listening, think, is there anything you can do to help Dave and Music Will and their their efforts here to to bring the music education into public schools. It could be anything. And when you're done, reach out to Dave through the website and see what you can do to help. But let it roll. We'll see you at the end. YouTube, follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Today we're joined by Dave Wish, founder of Music Will. And you're about to find out what that's all about. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. What you do, there, there's so much of it, but I'd like to kick it off with, you know, music to me is the most important thing in my life. You know, I'm a musician. My business is around music, but I also know because my wife is a school teacher for the last 27 years, that music is one of those things that's one of the first things cut, you know, when they're looking at budgets and it's not given nearly uh, the respect I, I think that it deserves. And there's so many more benefits uh, to music than just learning how to play an instrument. There's things, and you know better than anyone, things like, you know, social things and spatial skills. And just, it just makes you uh, smarter across a lot of different things. Talk a little bit about, before we get into music, Will, uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. I can see behind you, you've got some guitars over there. So t I, I, talk about how you, what was your path? So my path to music was started like everyone's path. I heard it and it changed, it, it shaped my entire world. My Some of my earliest memories are watching my father select these magic round discs with huge holes they your younger viewers will remember what a 45 is your old your, your, or your older ones your younger ones probably won't even know what a record is i guess hey, 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 david oh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i yeah i could go on about that but i won't all right so i just remember you know i didn't know who was screaming on those records i didn't know that when when little Richard said "womp bam a loobop womp bam boom," that that like what it meant, I did know whatever this is, I want a lot more of this, and I was raised in that, and like like everybody, I think most people are raised in a music rich environment. I mean, it's who wants to live in a world whether you're in an apartment, you know, anywhere you live, we are music seeking because it. Being musical, so loving music makes you musical. And being musical is part of what it means to be a human, right? Turtles don't sing, whales sing. And that's inherent. It's in their DNA. And they do it for a reason. It's actually part of their whaleness, if you will. So 
my path started the normal way, I would say the human way. And then I got to school. Well, let me just say this. What's the normal way? Music is, was, and always will be the emotional first responder for humanity since time immemorial. Music is, has, and always will be the seasoning that you can add to anything and make it better. A funeral, a wedding, even a trip to a mall, something I avoid generally at all costs. It's still better when there's mm -hmm. music, a movie, 100%. anything. So that's how music is. And I'll, I'll, before I pivot to my me and how I how my path became strange and normal at the same time, I'll just say that because music is a part of what it means to be human, music doesn't need anything other than people to exist. It doesn't need classrooms. It doesn't need schools. It doesn't need technology. It doesn't need recognition or trophies. It just needs a heartbeat of a human being. And everything else flows from there, and it's quite natural. I love the saying, I believe it's from Zimbabwe, that if you can walk, you can dance. If you can talk, you can sing. I've known so many people who can do neither of those things, but can still express that music that is inherent in their humanity. So that's my, and, and I'll just, you know, like, to me, to be to be human is to be musical. To be musical is synonymous with being human. And there are as many valid ways of being musical as there are of being human. There's no one way that's better or worse. I mean, provided you're not hurting people, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and on yeah. that last last note, again, I'll pivot before I pivot to, to me. Um, you know, these these uh, uh, paleontologists found a 40,000 year old uh, vulture bone in a cave in Germany um, and had five holes drilled into it. And what they determined was it was a flute. And not only was it a flute, those five notes, um, you know, for people that don't have music theory, um, if you play those five notes, you can play like all the songs that Eric Clapton or Beyonce or whoever are writing. And for the for your for your music nerds, it was a pentatonic scale. Forty thousand years ago before people wrote music down so we don't even need the technology of written music or recording so i go to first grade as we do and um it turned out i had a real proclivity for it i was very distinguished that's why they had me do it two times you know they were like wow this guy he really should show the new kids how it's done um well and so it's quite ironic in a way. So I, for those who don't get the joke, I flunked the first grade. And why did <laughs> I flunk it? Um, you know, I'll never fully know, but I think it was like, I know I was dyslexic. Um, I learned later on, you know, I, you know, I, I, people have said I have ADHD. I didn't learn the way people were teaching me. And um, so whatever, they held me back. And I remember sort of the, this, I, it, I didn't know what I had done wrong, but I do still, as a 56-year-old man, remember feeling like, God, I really am not that good. I, I feel bad about myself. And, and that would be a pretty good description of my schooling generally. Um, you know, I always loved learning, but I wasn't crazy about school. Turns out school wasn't that crazy about me. 
um, my, uh, my mom passed away recently and I was going through all of her papers. And one of the things she saved was every report card I'd ever gotten and every like, you know, uh, detention slip and everything else. So I put it in chronological order and I was like, oh yeah, it was, it was the way I remember it. But one of my, my, my sixth grade teacher who I don't remember, my sixth grade music teacher said, you know, on my report card, you know, Dave is inattentive. He doesn't, you know, he, uh, he can't match pitch, you know, music is probably not for him. So, and I don't remember reading that, you know, but I'm sure it had those kinds of messages had an impact on me. And I was told by people who loved me, I couldn't sing. And so, you know, music classes, I had them, they were not cut, but I didn't like them. I, I didn't like them because I felt like, oh, I'm so cool. They're not cool. But I didn't like them because I didn't feel like they liked me very much. And I, and I couldn't do what they wanted me to do. I couldn't read the, the, the tadpoles on the lines. And so, you know, I quit every music program I had. Choir, they asked me to mouth instead of sing. So, you know, that wasn't fun. And then it was like violin. But I really wanted to play guitar. And I remember going to my music teacher and I was like, and that's why I picked violin. They didn't have guitar, but I was like, well, that thing looks like a guitar. And then, you know, uh, the, the novelty wore off after playing it for a little bit. I said, what can I do with this thing? And I was like, that song, that song has this. And so I ran to school and I asked my music teacher, Mr. Ross in fourth grade, Hey, can you show me on this thing, how to play Eleanor Rigby? They use this, I'm pretty sure. And he said something that I, you know, I only remembered years later. She said, well, you get that music at home. We don't do this here. So I quit that music program and I quit everything because I, I couldn't progress. I didn't feel meaningful and whatever. And so I assumed I did not, I assumed wrongly, like many people do, and I have great empathy for each of those people, that I wasn't musical. I, I believe that about myself. Um, and it was only when I was a senior in high school that my dear friend and now wildly successful music maker, composer, blah, blah, blah. But then we were just knuckleheaded teenage friends. Paul Brill could play the guitar. And I was like, man, if Paul could play the guitar, I know that I'm not any more of a dork or misfit than him. Maybe he could show me. And that's exactly what he did. But he did not show me how to play guitar in a way that in any way resembled the way I learned music in schools. There were no notes, there was no theory, there was no position, there was no posture, there was nothing other than the simple question, dude, what song do you wanna play? Well, I wanna play this, uh, okay. Well, oh, you wanna play this by Eric Clapton? Okay, put your fingers here. Now do this. Put your fingers there. Now do that. Great. Now you're playing Lay Down Sally. My mind was blown. And I became a passionate, obsessive music maker at the age of 18 and have never really stopped. But we're here, and that makes me like 90% or more of all music makers who have ever lived. Right. So then why are we talking? Because I had this weird re-intersection with formal music. So I, I came to music not because of the programs that I had access to, but outside of them entirely. 
And so it's ironic that I grew up to become a first grade school teacher, having flunked it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm sure like my first grade teacher would be like, what? Um, But I did. And and I loved it. I became a school teacher in the murder capital of the United States, the year that I I was my my inaugural year. And I didn't contribute to that figure. Um, And although I I don't want to minimize some of the challenges in that community, I loved the community. I loved the kids. Um, if you if you really believe that people are people, which I do, all people are just people, it's very easy to just be like, wow, this is a really this is a rotten situation for these amazing people who are like people everywhere. So I totally fell in love with teaching. I fell in love with first grade. It was so fun for me. And um, and also uh, here's an interesting wrinkle. I wasn't teaching in English. As a boy, I had lived overseas and I'm fluent in Spanish. So all 10 years of my teaching, I was teaching um, recently arrived immigrant kids in Spanish, how to read in Spanish, uh, and while they were acquiring English so that when they got to the second grade, they could learn to read in Spanish, blah, blah, blah. And I love that too. In that context, um, I... It started, oh, and by the way, so at night I'm a gigging musician, not famous, you know, whatever, playing weddings, bar mitzvahs, jazz clubs, anything I can, because I love making music. So I started bringing my guitar to school, you know, a place, you know, and I could feel immediately good idea. <laughs> the kids were like, can I touch it? Can I hold it? Da, da, da. And I used to do this thing where, I mean, it's funny how it evolved. I would just like, when kids would come in the front door, I'd hold a chord and they'd strum a chord and I'd give them a high five and they'd go and sit down. Cool. And then it, that turned into, okay, at story time, I'll, I'll play the chords while you strum. And I was like, why am I doing this? Why don't I just teach them all to play guitar? So um, I begged and borrowed uh, 36 guitars. I had 36 kids from all of my beautiful yet derelict musician friends who owed me money or favors and usually both. Hey, I know you've got that Yamaha under your bed. Remember the gig I took? Or hey, remember the time you never paid me? So anyways, I got together my first fleet of instruments and I started a free guitar class for my kids. And without knowing it, I just intuited it. I was like, I mean, I went to the store to look for music curriculum because I was by now an actual teacher. And I, you know, I got, you know, Mel Bay, volume one, how to play guitar, you know, merrily we roll along. And then, you know, Hal Leonard this or whatever, you know, uh, you know, go tell Aunt Rhody and it's all reading and it's, and I'm like, okay, no. So I realized I'd have to figure something out myself and I just intuited, I taught the kids the way I was taught, the way a lot of teachers do. And it was, what songs do you like? Okay. That's all I need to know. That's that's the sum total of what I need to know. And now I got to make it the shortest distance between you telling me and us playing that music. So it was like, you know, Selena, Ricky Martin, the Backstreet Boys. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't know any of that music. So I went to what some of your viewers will know or listeners was a record store because things weren't streaming back in 96. And I bought the records and I'm, you know, list bitty, bitty, bum, bum. OK, so I know it's a B flat. Well, that's a bummer. Let's not do that. We'll do it in A. So anyways, you know, um, I came to school. I I taught the kids to play the music that they knew and loved. And then they did the same thing that me and my friends and probably you and your friends and most people who have this kind of pop background, they started playing their favorite music. 
And while this next story I'm going to tell you should not have surprised me, it did. I'm a slow learner, man. It took me two years, 12 years, really, to get through first grade. A little boy comes up to me in my first guitar class, Sergio Betancourt. And he's like, hey, Mr. Wish, I wrote a song. Would you like to hear it? Wow. I know. That's what I said. And I was like, of course I want to hear it. And he sits down. He plays this killing tune called Little Dinosaur. You know, I'm just a little dinosaur. Sounds like a <laughs> like early Velvet Underground Lou Reedy thing. I'm like, I'm like, hold on, hold on. I tape recorded it. You know, I didn't have any kids of my own to brag about at the time. So I was, I started playing it for all my friends. I'm like, guys, I'm running this like free guitar class for my kids, but I have this genius kid, Sergio. You wrote this song, listen, click. And they would listen. They're like, oh my God, yeah, that's crazy. That's how genius. old was he? Six. God, yeah, that's amazing. Six. You know, of course he was a genius. But then, like a week later, Rachel Gonzalez comes in, Mr. Wish. I've written a song. Would you like to hear it? And I'm like, two geniuses in, in one class of six-year-olds. Like, what are the odds? And then by degree, all the kids were like writing songs. And I start scratching my head and realizing like, well, wait a minute. That it might have something to do with the way we're learning, but whatever. I didn't think deeply about it. I started recording cassettes and then CDs and selling them because it wasn't just the first graders that wanted to be in my first uh, guitar class. It was the second graders. So I started another class and the third graders. And how did I fund this habit? By selling CDs and tapes initially to their families of the kids' original music. Those CDs wound up making it to local radio stations like KFOG and whatever and being played. And more and more um, people started hearing about this weird first grade, like guitar class at this one school. And I had to, you know, I was doing classes for the kids before school every day, after school every day, even during my lunch hour. And so I found myself finally at a point where I could not take on any more kids, which was super unfair and ironic from my perspective, because I'm like, wait, I got to be the guy that tells a kid they can't be in my music class. That is what actually led me in a, in an, still in a very unexpected way to what became this nonprofit that we'll discuss. But I want to come back to Sergio for a very specific reason. I'm picking him. I could pick other people. Sergio did what all kids do, you know, like he grew up, you know, uh, well, all lucky kids. Uh, he grew up. He went to middle school and I got a phone call one day from his mom, Maritia, who was bawling her eyes out. I couldn't understand what she was saying. And I finally understood that her other son, Francisco, who I knew because he would come and volunteer in the guitar class, 21 years old, had died unexpectedly the night before from pneumonia. You know, they'd gone to the hospital. They sent him home. You'll be fine. He died in his sleep. And would I please come to the funeral? So, of course I went and I was a much younger man then. I was probably 31, maybe, I don't know. And it was for me really the sort of the saddest I've had a charmed life. It was the saddest thing I'd seen and personally been involved with in my life up to that minute. He died the day before, or I don't know, a couple of days before his birthday, he was buried on his birthday. He had a one-year-old son and I had a one-year-old daughter. 
and his son's walking up and down the aisle. I'm sorry to, to lay it on, but this is the vibe. This is what it was, you know, and like even talking to his dad, because it was an open casket Catholic funeral. And I'd never seen one of those either. So anyways, when you walk into that kind of environment, all you want to do is help. And there's not a lot you can do. But for me, I noticed something amazing. It wasn't just Sergio sit, seated in his pew. It was all my former <laughs> students, right? Because they were they were like tight. They had gone to different middle schools, but their friendships because of not only because of the music, but certainly at least in part, they all came out to show love and support for their buddy Sergio. So I'm like, well, they're my kids. I'll sit with them. And that might give the grownups this much room, more room to grieve and whatever. And I'll never forget at a certain point, Sergio pulls out a guitar that I didn't know he had brought from underneath the pew. And he sings a song that he'd written the night before for his brother. And boom, in one instant, it was like such a clear view. What does music mean? It means everything. It's the happy, cool thing. Oh, yeah, you wrote a song. You're a genius. We're all happy. We're celebrating you. Oh, isn't it cute? Isn't it funny? Isn't it astonishing? And when life kicks you in the teeth and you're down and it gets everybody at some, there's no getting out alive, right, as they say. You know, no one gets out of this place alive. What do you have that matters? And if you're wise, at least in my opinion, there are very few things that matter. You'll have, hopefully, your health. Hopefully, people that you love and love you. And then, like, what else? A big house? Zillions of dollars? That doesn't mean anything. But music and the arts are one of those things. No, that actually does mean something. And I've lived it myself. And I've had the the honor of watching it lived by my friends, by my students, by teachers. And so that's the real story. And again, like music will do a charity. This is the furthest thing from my mind as I'm like crying in front of, you know, with everybody at this really sad occasion. But boy, did it solidify like this is profound, like this is profound work, you know, Teaching is profound work. Putting something of lasting value in another human being's life. I literally don't know anything better than that. You know, I mean, love and being loved, sure. But why would you put something of lasting value in another person's life if you didn't just love other people? So back to the real story of, you know, so like out of guilt, I was like, I got to do something about this having to tell this kid they can't be in my music class. So I started reaching out to other teachers and I said, hey, listen, you know, I know you've seen this, but like, I can show you how to do this. Like, I know you play a little. Um, I I can give you, I'll train you. I'll give you um, the lessons I've created. And I actually have some dough that I can buy more. You know, at this point, you know, remember I told you the CDs made it onto the air. Um, It's kind of remarkable, but three local musicians started supporting us. Bonnie Raitt, Carlos Santana, um, and John Lee Hooker, may he rest in peace. He even came down to the school and was like jamming with the kids. I was like, man, what's he going to wonder nice. what he's saying? I hope it's, I mean, like, because my kids were six and seven. So, you know, like a lot of his songs are like about shooting and whatever, but he was awesome. But so I, I knew that this could be something bigger than me. And when I started training other teachers, I 
oh, I felt it could be bigger than me. But when I saw what the other teachers were doing, I knew immediately it was actually much bigger than me. And that if I could take some of the ideas that I had about how to teach and give them to other teachers, right? Ideas are one of those beautiful things that you can have and give away and you still have it, right? I can't give you my tea, plus I'm sick, you don't want it, but I can give you my ideas. So I started training other teachers, giving them instruments, giving them the curriculum. And then I watched this beautiful thing grow and grow and slow learner that I am. After about a year, I was like, wait a minute. I like teaching the teachers just as much as I like teaching the kids. But every time I teach a kid, you know, I can only reach one kid. But if I teach mm -hmm. a teacher, they could reach every kid that they'll ever teach. Mm -hmm. So how do I do that? And, you know, I was like, well, maybe I should start a like a nonprofit where I teach teachers or I don't know. <laughs> and most people that I knew were like, dude, don't do that. Like, you're never going to do that. Like, you know, you're too much of a free spirit, la, 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 la. And I believed them, too. I was scared. I was nervous. Just like I believed the people who told me I wasn't musical. And a lot of those people loved me very much, but they were wrong about me and about music and humans. And so it wasn't until my dear friend, Jamie, who I really looked up to and respected a lot. I won't go too deeply into him, but he was like, he's like, of course you should do it. I'm like, yeah, but everyone else is saying no. He's like, well, tell me a good reason to, th that, that you shouldn't. I'm like, what if I fail? And he's like, well, do you like teaching? I was like, yeah. He's like, would you be happy to go back to it? I said, yeah. And he's like, it's a no brainer. And I was like, yeah, it is a no-brainer. And he said, nature hates a vacuum. So I, uh, I, at the end of uh, 2001, the school year, I left teaching and I founded a nonprofit, then called Little Kids Rock, which now is called Music Will, to bring the transformational gift of music to more kids in partnership with other teachers. And we've been doing that now for 20 years or 22 or something. It started in 20, 2000, like we officially became a nonprofit in 2002. So you can do the math. I guess we're coming up on 22 years. So, uh, and for, and, you know, so it started in one school as one thing that I just love to do. And it attract, it, since that time, it's attracted many people who love kids and music and, and communities. And together, we've gone from a, you know, one student-driven, student-focused, culturally relevant music program at one school in California to over 5,000 schools. Wow. Well over 1.6 million children over the last 22 years. And it's not only been powered by our shared belief that we all have, I think. I mean, although I can talk about the people that don't believe in music as a thing that kids should do, because there are, there are doubters, and I have an answer to that. But but also, like, because um, a lot of us understand that we didn't get what we wanted out of our music education, right? Like, how many people do you know that you say, hey, do you play? Well, starts the disclaimer, when I was a kid... I took lessons on this or that, and I didn't stick with it, or I liked it, or I didn't, blah, and I quit or whatever. And now I wish I could play. It's almost like, you know, it, it, it's such a common story. 
And it would be very easy to say, yep, you didn't have what it took. But I, but I think there's enough doubt in people's mind that no, actually, um, if children don't learn the way we teach, I didn't make this up. This is a great saying, so I'm not plagiarizing. And I just don't know who said it. If children don't learn, the, or if people don't learn the way we teach, let's teach the way they learn. And that can be very different for different people. So within the world of music education, there's an internal knowledge that people outside don't know. Like, you know, you guys are in the music industry. I don't know how the record sales and CD sales and whatever streaming was going, you know, unless I had to, I had to really look. In music classes in public schools, if you have a music teacher, <coughs> music education is compulsory, meaning every kid gets it. Yay. So that should be empirically a totally great thing. 100% participation. Then when it goes to middle school, nationally, music education participation rates, well, first of all, it becomes an elective. So a kid has to choose to go. And it goes from 100% down to something like 20%. And in, in high school, it falls off another cliff to like 10%. So at a time where kids are discovering music more than they ever will, at a time where they're defining themselves in their communities in a way more than they ever would music. They're saying, I don't want to go to music class. What gives? And what gives is a lack of relevance, right? It's not just the lack of access. Access without participation is a pyrrhic victory. It's like, well, I've got these pills that would cure my headache. I have them here, but I'm not going to take them. Well, then it does, you know, music can't transform the lives that it doesn't reach. So I guess that's why music teachers around the country find this approach so compelling because they want to reach all the kids. But they may, if I'm a flute player and that's what I learned to play and I go to music school, I become a music teacher and I don't know how to teach guitar, bass, drums. I don't know how to songwrite. I don't know how to improvise. I don't know how to rap. What am I going to do? And the answer has been nothing. I'm just going to teach flute and other things. We've been disrupting that for 20 years. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't get, right? Music is, a, is endless. Music education is very varied. And we're on a mission to make sure that every child gets not only music education, but the music education that they need that is done their way, tailored to the cultures and communities that they come from. And that can only happen when teachers are trained to do that. And it's a crazy thing where you're sharing power with the learner. Okay, I love Django Reinhardt. I love Charlie Parker. I'm taking myself as an example. How much do my kids care about them? Not at all. And do I want to spend my time trying to explain to them how awesome they are when they already think that uh, Beyonce is awesome? Okay, well, let's just do that then. So, so Music Will has grown to become, and I know I'm talking about, so I'll stop in case you have any questions, but Music Will has grown to become the largest free music education program in the United States public school system today. And our, our mission is to transform lives by transforming music education for the sake of the teachers, for the sake of the students, for the sake of their communities, and for the sake of our, of our country. Because that's what the real victory is. And I'll just stop with this last sentence, I promise. The goal of music education, in my mind, should be 
so that the greatest number of students play the greatest amount of music for the greatest amount of meaning for the greatest portion of their lives. And if we could live in that world, I know, and I think many people know, it would be a much better world. So, so, yeah. so David, let me, you know, because our listener base is everything from musicians to, to parents to, I mean, it, 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 it runs the spectrum here. How does somebody who is a musician or somebody who is a teacher at a school or somebody who is a parent with a child get involved with your program? Because as I see it, you've got that they could all probably be involved in one way or another. A musician could probably contribute. Obviously, a, a child would go to the program and learn. Um, how does somebody who's who this this discussion has piqued their interest in going, yeah, you're 100% right on everything you said. I want to do something. I don't know what I can do. I want to do something. I'll, I'll address the list of people. First, if there's anyone out there that believes that maybe they're musical or might be willing to consider that fact because of something I've said, then I woke up with a good reason today. And you are, and go to musicwill.org and look up some of our free lessons and find a teacher that gets it. It doesn't have to be us or whatever. And you should make music. You'll be way happier. So that's that segment. If you're a parent and you want your student to be involved in a program like this that will see them for who they are, then I would recommend going to musicwill.org and find out and click on the teacher link or whatever, how to get this in your school and tell your school music teacher or your school's principal, hey, I think a program like this would be really good here. So, you you know, like that works actually frequently, you know, when parents come in and express an interest, schools will investigate. Um, if you're a musician and there's anything that I've said that resonates for you, I hope that you'll sit with this for a minute. Rachmaninoff, I think, said that music is enough for a lifetime, but a lifetime is not enough for music. So if you feel somehow unworthy as a music maker, oh, well, I only play rock and roll, or oh, I only play classical or whatever, that's redonkulous. I mean, like, dude, you'll never get to the end. You could be the best jazz musician in the world, and I tell you, okay, play this tabla, and you won't be able to. Or you could be the best classically trained musician in the world, and I tell you, okay, we're going to jam on Let It Be by the Beatles. You won't be able to. So stop pretending there's some ideal state. And if you are a professional musician, so I hope you, you feel validated if you have imposter syndrome. None of us are imposters. Um, and if you're a famous musician, we work with a lot of them who come and visit our schools um, and, and, and perform for and with our kids. And if you're an amateur musician or a hobbyist, you know, people sometimes come and volunteer at our schools. If you're a well-wisher, um, who has funds to contribute, that's how we make our program work. And for us to bring the gift of music to a child at a school is about 35 bucks. And if you visit musicwill.org, you can do that. And by the way, that's actually, that's a little bit inaccurate. 
it it costs us 35 bucks to build a seat because we train a teacher, we give them the instruments, we give them the curriculum. That costs 35 bucks. Well, it costs $6,500 to launch at a school, but that creates seats for all these students. And guess what? When they go to the next grade, other kids come in and who's still there? The instruments, the lessons, and the teacher. So to start our program at a school is 6,500 bucks. So if you've got the means, consider it. Um, and if you've got zillions of dollars, consider investing even more because the, the intervention that we make is scalable and sustainable and it actually changes the system. Yeah, so yeah. We were chatting before before we got on, and Michael, you explained to me, well, we were like, where are you? You know, And you told me you're in Petaluma. I have a fond spot for Petaluma because the first training I ever did for teachers, way back in 1843, no, I'm kidding. It would have been 2001. I remember it well. In San Francisco, Bill Singer came out. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't have, I just knew I'd started this nonprofit. Maybe it'll work. And I trained him at that training 22 years ago. And he is still running the program. And he's in Petaluma right near you. And for that tiny investment that I, that me and the nonprofit made in Bill, in his kids, it has paid a tremendous set of dividends for years. I mean, his kids have like, They've written hundreds of songs. You know, Robert Hunter, that dude who used to write for the Grateful Dead, his granddaughter was somewhat estranged from him. And she wrote a song in his class. And it helped bring them together. I mean, it's crazy. But that's the magic of music. It's just like, it's almost like water. It finds everything. It finds sure. everything everywhere if there's a way in it'll go in so yeah. you know yeah. that's part of the magic of it yeah i think that's all fantastic we're we're 100 behind you and we'll continue to shout this from the rooftops um david thank you so much for joining us today keep up the great work you know uh it's and, and it's, it's musicwill.org Absolutely. And there's a support us link for people that want to consider contributing. If you're a teacher or a parent, you can go there to either try to advocate to get it in your school or to use our free resources. Um, and, you know, stay human, stay musical to all of you, you know. Thank you so much. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, this is so important. You know, anybody yeah. should do whatever they can to to reach support out and help. It. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks and again, I'll, David. We really appreciate it, man. And let's close with this. The words of famed cellist Pablo Casals. You must work. We all must work to make the world worthy of its children. And as grownups, I know we know we're failing as a group. So let's step up, people. Let's do it. There's a hundred ways to do it. More. Do it. And thank right. you. Keep Thank up the you, great David. work, man. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Jay, uh, his story is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And it, what he's doing is just so important. Absolutely. So crucial. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and as he's describing, like, his experience as a child, when he was a child playing music, it's just like, yeah, you can't force a system of learning onto a child that's if right. a child comes to you and says 
I want to learn to play Eleanor Rigby. As a teacher, you should go, holy crap, that's all I need. There's the spark right there in that child. Yeah. Let me do whatever I need to do to help them move to that next step of going, I actually played Eleanor Rigby on this instrument. Yeah. As opposed to being the teacher saying, no, we don't, we don't, we don't you have do to that. learn music theory first. You have to do your scales, read, read the books, study the notes. It's not how like, a six-year-old works. How, how many actual professional musicians do we hear from all the time? We're like, I can't read music. Most I don't know them. notes. I can't write music. And we're talking it's about very talented musicians Incredibly who've created iconic talented. music. Yeah. They can't read. They can't write music. But yeah. they create music that will last a lifetime. Yeah. Will last for eternity. I mean, yeah. the Beatles music is going to last for eternity. Why? Because the music is great and because it's, it touches you right here. So teachers have to learn when there's that little spark. How do you get that spark to turn into a flame to make that student excited about it? Because when you yeah. say no, you can't learn that song, you've, you've dashed all hopes of them. ever. Yeah. And the other, the other part of it is, like we said in, during the interview, that the first thing cut when they have budget issues music. is arts and music. and Music and art. It's so important to people, you know, socially for their mental health, uh, well-being and for spatial skills and all these other things. Music and art is so important in our lives and it shouldn't be cut. And my uh, my hat goes off to him for starting this nonprofit and for all the success. I just think it's a fantastic story. Yeah, I, I would ask any of our listeners out there, if there's anything you do that you think boy, that I might be able to contribute or help. Reach out. I, you know, it could be donating an instrument. It could, I don't know, speaking to a class. It could be whatever it is. I mean, as a, as a musician, if you're listening or somebody in this business, you know the importance of this. This could create the next Beatles Absolutely. in the future. Yeah. Because you helped that child pick up a guitar and play what was in them, what they felt, not what was in a tab book. You know, you got to learn this song. You got to learn Mary Had a Little Lamb. Uh, sorry, no kid is excited to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Do what you can. Quick shout out. Thank you to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town. And of course, to our sponsors, Bandzoogle.com and Discmakers.com. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, that's it. Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We'll see everybody next week. Industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship this opportunities. For Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com. And by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.